Today's scripture reading is from Romans 8, 12 through 25. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have had the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes to, for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Mrs. O'Brien, the chief matriarch in the film, The Tree of Life, says this in a prayer. The nuns taught us that there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one to follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it, when love is smiling through all things. They taught us that no one who loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. I will be true to you, she says, whatever comes. The film is experimental. Not all of you would enjoy watching it. It's evocative, it's beautiful, it's theological. And the way of grace in it is exemplified by this Miss O'Brien, this mom of this lovely little Texas family. For her, the way of grace is demonstrated through a life of play. She, undignified-like, went in her backyard on many occasions barefoot with the kids, running this way and that, playing this game and that one messing around with insects and creatures in the yard. It was filled with laughter, jokes, pure and utter delight in life. The way of nature, on the other hand, was exemplified by her husband, Mr. O'Brien, a good man, a man of duty and respect, a man of discipline, a man who thought about life as a series of rungs on a ladder to climb that you may achieve more in the end. He wasn't that fun. He didn't laugh much and he would never take his shoes off in the yard. The family went to church often. The dad saw it as an opportunity to network, to get ahead maybe with someone from work or maybe his boss. 
The film shows basically the two life paths that St. Paul lays out for us in our text this morning. There is the way of flesh and the way of the Spirit. What does St. Paul mean by this? Let me assure you that when he talks about flesh, he's not talking about your epidermis or your physical body. In fact, he's got a rather high view of your body if you read all the way through the end of our passage. But it's simply that Paul thinks that there's a way of living that puts love in the wrong direction. Or maybe it's loving good things but inordinately too much. Maybe we could just call it a life where the passions are not kept in check. The way of the flesh is one where we grasp out for the world, trying to take hold of it, to get more, have more, and own and possess more. But the way of the Spirit, on the other hand, is this other life path where all life is received as a gift of a good creator God, the giver of all good things. It's received openly and joyously. I'm reminded very much of Richard Branson, that Virgin Atlantic executive and owner. He's got so much money he owns an island, and he's got so much money that he no longer worries about buying himself things. He's now working with others to try to make the world better. I guess when you have so much money, that's what you do. And so he bought an island and has a whole lot of people meet with him annually there to kind of think through some of our human problems and how they can come together and solve them. He invited Archbishop Desmond Tutu to join him to be a part of this cohort. He says that he expected uh, the Archbishop to be a very serious man. If you ever notice what bishops wear, the clothes are very serious. And so you think a man in that position with that kind of prestige and those clothes, he's going to be a serious man. He found out that Archbishop Desmond Tutu acts more like a kid than he does a grown man. He plays pranks, tells inappropriate jokes, laughs, and has a big smile. And Richard Branson said it did something inside of him to be around the bishop because he, he said, was like a child. It shouldn't really be that hard for us to see here that Paul says that those who live by the Spirit are actually like children. He tells us in verse 14 they are in fact children of God. We know this as part of the tradition of Christianity, that Jesus really shockingly brought children near to him and wanted to protect the children culturally. That's why the stained glass window behind me has children coming to him from all sides. The tradition of Christianity is filled with a love for children and an elevation for children in worship and in church life. But what is it that Jesus, and now St. Paul, wants to think about children in some high level, some high esteem. What is it exactly? Is it the immaturity of children? No, we know that's not the case. Rather, it is the simple trust, faith, and joy that is naturally in the heart of a child. This past week, we had vacation Bible school, as you've heard this morning. One day, I went to go pick up Marcella, who was still in the front of Burns Hall watching the screen, the dancers were dancing and singing the songs they were learning at VBS. And while she was there and moms and dads were taking their kids off to another camp or back to daycare or whatever, she was still there doing her choreography by herself. And she was into it. And I had to startle her to get her going. Marcella, she says, oh, it's time to go, sweetie. I was like, you look, you look like you're having a lot of fun up there dancing and singing. Were you having fun? Oh, yes, daddy. And guess what? What's that, honey? 
on Friday. We're going to come back here on Friday, and we're going to sing songs on the stage on Friday. And let me tell you what those songs are not going to be about. They're not going to be about how God is with you some of the time. Instead, they're going to be about how God is with you all the times. Do you think I'm making up how she said that? That's exactly how she said that. I'm both blown away that she can speak that way, and also my heart is warm that she is taking that in from vacation Bible school with such simple excitement about God being there for her. There's another thing, though, about children that we should note. Children are those that inherit things from their parents. My father told me I probably won't have much of an inheritance. He went to meet his mother. They were estranged. My grandmother called all her sons together and wanted to talk to them about their inheritances. So they all convened in one spot, meeting together for the first time in over a decade. It was the kind of meeting where everyone knew each other really well, but at the same time really didn't, for estrangement does that to us. And she proceeded to stand up at the table's head and say, you all get nothing. We're going to sell everything from the estate when I go, and it will be given to the children's hospital. Isn't that great? They were upset, not because they weren't going to get anything, but they felt like there was some cruelty in this proclamation of their inheritance. Well, not all inheritances are that great, but the children of God have a wonderful inheritance. What is it exactly? Is it money, prestige, fame? No. It is to be co-heirs, St. Paul says, of Christ Jesus. Have you ever just sat and thought about that for a moment? To be a co-heir with the Son of God, to be put into the same category as God's own Son. What will we gain, my friends? We will gain in some of the glory of God through a deep and abiding unity with God. Look at verse 18 for a moment. I don't know why that's happening, the crackle, I'm sorry. Verse 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Paul knew that life sometimes was filled with struggle. His missionary journal journeys were filled with struggle and difficulty. And here he says, I can handle all struggles and difficulty because of what is coming to me, because of what I will inherit, because of what God will give me, this wonderful glory through union with God's own heart. Consider the sufferings of the present age, my friends, when it comes to not simply human drama, but the creation's drama. Read again verses 19 through 20. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of those of the one who subjected it in hope. Richard Mockham is a biblical scholar who's read this passage in light of one of our favorite uh, 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 prophets, Jeremiah, specifically chapter 4, verses 23 through 28. Jeremiah is telling the people, because of your sinfulness, this may happen. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked to the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, 
There was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid to ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. It is interesting that when you read carefully the entirety of the biblical witness, sin has ecological effect. And we need to get our hearts right. That's what St. Paul is getting at. At the beginning of Jeremiah, he says that the land will be laid waste and void. The Hebrew words here are tohu and vabohu, and they're only used in Jeremiah and in Genesis 1. You remember when the Spirit is hovering over creation before there's anything there, it's kind of a void. That's the word. So what Jeremiah is writing about, and in the same vein St. Paul's writing about, is about how through human sinfulness, creation goes through a sort of uncreation, a raveling, a disaster. Lushness can become desertification and so on. And so here's what St. Paul is saying. Creation's groaning in pain, waiting for the children of God to get it right waiting for children of God to be faithful to the moral order that God creates the universe out of, waiting for the children of God to elevate creation once more back to God and not simply to ourselves, to be children of God under the great caretaker of all things. Which is why this year's VBS, we thought about the Creator, and we thought about creation and how humans are called to care for it on behalf of God. Here's the thing I think about Jeremiah and St. Paul and all of it. I think that children know this stuff intuitively. I'm not sure that we just forget it because it's trained out of us. I think that's what happens. Children know it intuitively, instinctively. We were driving in our old neighborhood a couple years ago, and there was this hill that was full of timber and woods and stuff, and it was being clear-cut. I think that's the word, right? Clear-cut by developers to put up these half-million-dollar complexes and homes. As we drove by Marcella, looked up there and says, oh no, somebody stop those mans. Stop those mans from cutting down those trees. And she cried. We didn't know where that was coming from because at that point in her life, we didn't talk about that. We hadn't really explained much about anything about development or ecology. As we drove away and did our business and then came back to the neighborhood, she protested once more saying, somebody should put up a sign telling those mans to stop hurting those trees. Something in that little heart knew that something was being lost. Something good was there, and she just wanted to protect it as best she knew how. Indeed, St. Paul writes in this letter to a church in Rome that we, like the rest of creation, are longing and yearning for salvation to come to the earth. There's a book on my shelf that has a title. It says, Salvation Means Creation Healed. I think the authors are on to something with that. Even when we pray each morning, if you don't believe me, even when we pray the Lord's Prayer each morning, we are asking for God's kingdom, for God's will, for heaven to be here present where we are. We're asking for the goodness of God and the restoration of God to make over this space and us as people together. We're asking for the restorative justice of God to come and touch every nook and cranny and corner of our existence. We are asking for God's grace to shine once more evidently 
in all things. <laughs> Friends, I think kids know it intuitively. I just think we habitually get ourselves away from it. Do you remember when we had our elders and deacons retreat on the mountaintop last winter? On the Saturday, there was a nature guy who came out to the lobby and had a couple snakes. I don't like snakes. They startle me. They scare me. Um, I can't say anything worse about it. I, I just don't like snakes. And I don't know where that came from. And Marcella was on her hands and knees in the lobby. And there's a snake over there on the ground. And she got closer and closer and closer. She wanted to touch it. She wanted to see what it was like. She wanted to understand that snake. I think somewhere, somehow, through practices, conscientious and unconscientious practices, we have worked ourselves away from creation. We've estranged ourselves from one another and from the world around us. And we say there are just too complicated problems out there. We can't solve them. We might as well go on. It's the way it is. And when people take that, they lose heart, they lose faith, and they give in. But not if you live according to the pattern of the Spirit that receives all things with gratitude, that delights in the life given by God and says, thank you, thank you, thank you. When you live by the pattern of the Spirit, you live like a child before God. You live with wonder and awe in your heart and joy that does not destroy, but only gives more life and protects the life that's theirs. Friends, let's commit to the way of the Spirit today. Let's commit to the childlike way. Let's quit grasping for control of our world, and let's receive it all as a gift of grace of God, and let's delight in it with God in mind for our future hope says that God will make all things new. Let's follow the lead of our children.